You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt McGacky, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Kesky of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to another episode of Fly on the Call, candid conversations on music. Hopefully this week I'm welcoming some new listeners who are sticking around after last week's episode with Silverstein, which has been by far the most popular yet. So thank you for all the support, whether that was your first episode or you've been around from the beginning. Today I'm talking to Brian Walker, who through his project A Day Without Love is probably one of the hardest working people in DIY. We talked about his many collaborations throughout this year, fostering a community, his podcast, Dreams Not Memes, touring as a solo artist, and his upcoming tour documentary. As you can tell, there's a lot of ground to cover, so let's hop right in. I kind of have a lot of like big general questions. Um, and I guess I just wanted to start by asking kind of what have you been working on? What are you like excited for lately? Um, I'm definitely working on a lot uh, as a musician. I have, all right, I'm just going to count it out. I have multiple singles uh, waiting to be released. Um, I have um, a single with, Two rappers, Internal Rhyme and Mikey Mayo, coming out. Called it's a song called um, "Live Your Dream All Night Living Fantasies." That title might be changing; it's subject to change, but that's pretty much the song. And I just do side vocals there. Um, I have a song about internet culture where I sing a hook on another uh, rapper song, uh, and it's basically about how people love to flex on the internet but don't have really much to prove it in person um so there's that song um i have a jazz song with a local philly band called brother martin um i have another jazz song with north jersey act with a north jersey act so that's coming out um the reason why i'm not saying his name because i don't know if he's changing his band name or not because uh, <laughs> it's gone back and forth um I am working on a mini EP with two songwriters. Uh, one does math rock, um, and the other one is kind of like a mid-Western emo sound. So I've got that going on. I don't know when that's going to come. Uh, I've been working with another songwriter about relationships and addiction. Uh, she's in two bands, but we have no idea when that's coming out. Um, and that's pretty much it for my collabs. I have a side rap project I'm working on that's like TBD. And then I'm also working with producer Plea the Filth on a spoken word splash rock song. So that's wow. all like my side <laughs> project. Um, I just released a single to a documentary score slash album that I'm working on. 
in the same way that Kendrick did uh, Black Panther uh, and like worked with a bunch of people, I'm going to be writing like an acoustic folk record about life on the road and uh, DIY culture and the differences of uh, like what it means to be diverse. So I'm writing that uh, for a documentary because I went on a documentary tour earlier this year. And um, I'm now doing the conceptualization slash drafting of my third official full-length record. And I have four weekenders and a bunch of local shows left, or three weekenders, three or four. And then I could officially say that I played, I believe, almost 100 shows this year. Oh, so uh, that is uh, all that I'm working on, basically. <laughs> There's other stuff I'm working on in my life in general. But that's just the music stuff. Yeah, and just trying to get better and, and be the best that I can be. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's super rad and keeping you very busy, <laughs> it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess there's kind of a lot to unpack there. But one of the things I wanted to talk about um, was, like, all the collaborations that you've been doing this year and kind of, like, you know, how so many of them have had different variations in style. And it sounds like that's something you plan to continue doing in the future. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that like project came together? Yeah, so I, I played a couple uh, things in my head. So I'll start with like why I wanted to start collaborating as much as I could. Um, this is kind of a criticism of DIY culture as well as today's music. I kind of got tired of the two EPs, a split, and a full-length album, and then you're done. Um, <laughs> I think it's just like way too cliched. It's limiting. It's insular. It's borderline masturbatory because then you end up using the same album artists that everyone uses. And then I started to listen to Chance the Rapper's coloring book. And I was really obsessed with how different it was. And I fell in love with hip hop again because my music journey doesn't start with Green Day or any East punk band. It starts with Motown and Wu-Tang, you know, because my, my Uncles listen to the Wu-Tang, I listen to the Wu-Tang, and my grandparents who raised me listen to like Motown, blues, you know, West Montgomery. And like when it comes to black music, it's inherently community, it's community driven and it's collaborative and it's revolutionary. Um, I'm not gonna break down why the three of those things are that case, but I definitely wanted to be that as a musician because A Day Without Love is about rising above adversity. So I had to think to myself, I want to collaborate with as many people because I know a lot of people and I'd be a dumbass not to like collaborate or write music with them. You know, some collaborations haven't worked, um, but a lot of them have. And when I say some, I mean like just two. Um, <laughs> one is like a song that like we wrote and it was cool, but I don't think it's coming out. The other one, like the, the act just stopped, like, you know, being like, in touch with me so you know that happens uh, i can't really speak too much for that but um the whole point that i wanted to pretty much share is i went and said i went out and said you know what i'm going to go out and do like 15 collaborations who might think from an industry perspective like are you going to overwhelm your listeners i mean given the fact that my spotify followers naturally went from 160 to now 403 uh, it's probably going to be higher. I'm saying that without hubris by the time this comes out. I'm going to say, no, I didn't overwhelm my listeners. So that was the first thing I was worried about. The second thing I was thinking to myself is, like, I could be in silence 
and like not release anything and then when i'm done all the collaborations um drop it and then i thought to myself well the pro to that is like you know you have this big diverse release that a lot of people get excited about but the con is i have to maintain 17 15 to 17 different relationships and then potentially 17 different producers and then one mastering engineer most mastering engineers charge between 25 to 70 dollars a song and i'm gonna say like where am i gonna get 17 times 30 or like 80 dollars you know that's just way too much on production costs like i'm not ed sheeran ed sheeran did that on his collaborations final and my brand influence is just not that high for me to realistically do it. So I thought I'm going to do this piecemeal. And, you know, if a label wants to be like card captor, Pokemon collector about my discography and like, you know, put it all together the same way that Ring of the Horizon got their shit done with their back catalog, by all means do it as long as I get the money. <laughs> but so that was the second thing as to why I'm doing it the way that I'm doing it, where I'm making new releases once every six to eight weeks. Third thing is, I thought each of these singles, I could do a different campaign or promotional strategy or collaborative creative project. So some of these collaborations like were just studio records and I didn't go on tour with them. So I made my own music video or like I just wrote the song and the other person did the production. Some of these singles were just like, just drop it. And like, you know, they've ended up in like college kid documentaries and things like that. So like, I pretty much wanted to open my mind to just being a creative person instead of a DIY artist, because a lot of times the word DIY artist, you think, oh, this person's trying to play warp tour fast. And I didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted to really think about what do I like and what do I enjoy and how can I create that and share that with the world? So that's where I'm at now. And then internally without like, think about the relationships I have with other people, like I just expressed, I just wanted to be better. And that's kind of like what, on that like i definitely think i'm not the songwriter i was a year ago before going into this and i oh wait i just realized there's another release i released with the edm today um with who's really killing it uh right now his name's shizlo he's the dj to uh Bacanero. they're signed out to dimac records with steve aoki and uh, i have a single with him called the cycle and um i'm working on doing another song with him we're just waiting on the vocals for that so i mean all i'm doing is playing guitar but still it's a collaboration so that's it for all my collaborations but um i really just want to get better and that's like my goal at the crux of it is like rise above myself rise above the adversities against me um and inspire other people like me um to believe that they can do it because i definitely think when it comes to underground rock music it's kind of a community that claims to be open-minded, but in present, you know, there, there's a certain mentality, there's a certain culture that not everyone can identify with, you know, and, sure. and that culture is like that higher level of socioeconomic privilege. Um, just on the face of it, these are white people, you know, and, and I'm not a white person. Um, and, and that comes with a bunch of like exclusionary attitudes. There's a lot of like, if you didn't listen to, you know, insert band from the 90s or 80s or even 70s, then you can't be part of the club. And uh, I want to inspire people that never felt like they could fit, fit in because they weren't part of these like unbeknownst or unwritten 
contracts or ideals that they can fit in just simply by being who they are and telling their story. Yeah, and, and I think like it's really interesting like how the collaboration aspect is kind of not necessarily the way you're doing it, but like, you know, typically when you think about like other people like coming in to help out with writing songs and stuff, it's like in the DIY community, that's often seen as like, oh, that person's like a sellout. They have like co-writers and stuff, but like the way you're doing it seems like so organic. And um, like you mentioning kind of like not wanting to overwhelm people and how it's like helped grow things organically on your Spotify and stuff. It's like, that definitely, I think it makes a lot of sense the kind of like rollout that you did because it's like you're gaining with all these different people that you're working with, you're gaining like little bits of their audience along the way. And then they're like starting to follow you and get along with that. And it's like just introducing like everyone to so much more music. True. And you know, and not for nothing, like that whole, like they're selling out because they have co-writers. My first collaboration that got dropped was with an EDM DJ. Like, DIY rock music and EDM couldn't be any more different. And keep in mind, his principal, Shizlo, he's no different than us. Like, he writes in his bedroom, he drinks his seltzer water, he shares on Instagram, and, like, and that's it, you know? And he plays shows. He's played in basements. I've played in basements, you know? His audiences might be different, but really, same methods and discipline. And, like, if there's anything that I've learned during this journey and moving forward is have the humility that you're just not good at everything and you can't do everything, you know, like do as much as you can with what you have and make, and make the best out of it. But what's great about collaborating is like, I've learned something from everyone. And yes, sometimes they're like frustrating. Like someone might not answer a text or multiple reschedules, but every single person that like I've collaborated with for the songs to come and the songs that have been dropped, I learned something from them, you know? Mm. So it's just like, and and if, if learning is selling out, then I'm the biggest fucking sellout there is. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I mean, like, I've, I don't know where I heard the saying originally, but I've heard, like, the saying, like, DIY isn't do-it-yourself, it's decide-it-yourself. And, like, kind yeah. of, like, you have the power to make things happen the way that you feel is best. And that definitely sounds like the, the kind of mindset you're, like, going into it with. Exactly. And I'm also a fan of uh, DIT, do it together, because, like, to the Front Fest in Lexington, Kentucky, not that long ago. And I met um, Ryan Mathers, who does so much shit. Um, that's that's almost longer than w- everything that I'm doing right now. Uh, so, Ryan, if you're listening to this, like, literally, like, I hope you see me as a brother because I see you as a sister, and I, I, I literally love what you're doing, you know? And um, that's a person that really holds that do-it-together mentality um, for example, they use the Google form to recruit artists. Then after artists like, um, Ryan broke down, like how much you're going to get paid, what you're supporting as a result of this festival. And that festival supports, uh, children who get kicked out of their homes after coming out, which is like a serious, serious problem that's mm-hmm. being addressed, you know, down in Lexington. And then thirdly, and this is like, if this isn't a whirlpool, I don't know what is, there's accommodations for different people's living and eating preferences for uh, staying over the night for the festival. So like with that being said, that's doing it together because like Ryan has a team of people working with her and then like everyone else is working together. And then during the festival, there's people from different parts of the US with like minds sharing their thoughts, sharing their music and talking about the adversities that they face. And like, you know, 
DIYDIT doesn't necessarily always have to be activist driven or pro-social, but I definitely think it's something powerful when you hear people that, you know, are writing similar stories but come from different pages. Yeah, and I, I think one of the like recent episodes of the Your Dreams Not Memes podcast, you were talking about how um, like when you started out, you kind of wanted to like one of your main focuses was like building a community of storytellers around yourself. And it it definitely seems like something that you've been successful with. So like, could you tell me a little about that like process and the mindset that you went into it with? So, I mean, this might sound corny as shit, but, um, I, I grew up like on a creative level, liking poetry a lot and, and writing poetry. And, you know, when I would come over certain families, um members houses i'll watch deaf comedy uh poetry because i just love poetry i read langston hughes i read maya angelo i read poe um there's a bunch of other poets i read i still i don't read poetry as much as i used to now um then and now is the fact that there's a community around it because people are sharing their stories about who they are and when i started playing the guitar what I really loved about it is I only went to open mics and I met a lot of people that like, you know, they're doing music in different capacities right now, but those people were like a team, you know, and, and where the relationship was then for me when I was just starting was, I don't know anything from guitar. Can you teach me how to play, you know, a G chord or how could I syncopate my voice to the stand and the third and, and, and friendships got born out of that. And before I decided to turn this to a day without love, I wanted to carry that that mentality or that message with my songwriting and the people that I I, I keep around. So yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> um, and then I also wanted to like hit on the fact, like we've mentioned how you were doing like all these singles this year, and that's kind of a big kind of turn from diaries last year with the 24 track like over an hour album um what have kind of like been some of the like similarities and differences between those two kind of like really strategies for you between dropping an album versus dropping a single yeah and like such such a long album too (laughs) okay so When I dropped Diary, that was 100% self-recorded. I also made it sound like crap on purpose. It was a creative homage to the mini era of um, bands like, you know, Cry Wank, uh, Cyberbully Mom Club, um, you know, Waxahachie, like all those bands, uh, even Bon Iver, they were blowing up based on sounding like shit, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm not saying their music is shit, but like the audio quality objectively is shit. Like some of these records, you'd hear like air conditionings and things like that. And I got inspired by that. Like I thought it was really awesome. I hope no one just hears that one line and then runs away with it because that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but anyways, um, I, I like that concept. And I thought to myself, how can I explain why the fuck I got peaceful or where my depression came from or where a lot of my problems came from. Not all of them, but because you can never lay it all out on the table on a record. Some people say you can, but I, I, I think there's always stuff that's left for more. So I wanted to write a literal diary and I used a podcasting microphone, um, you know, the snow blue 
blue ball and <laughs> I just um I think that's what it's called blue ball snowball snowball yeah it's yeah, not called yeah. blue ball um and I just <laughs> wanted to tell the story and, and and see what came to my head and I wrote actually 65 songs and then I kept listening to them and I, I, I put limits on myself, like, you know, no audio editing, no retakes, unless it doesn't make sense. Um, only to the limited knowledge you have, don't take this to a mastering producer. Don't take this because a, a diary is raw. So I had to make it as raw as I could and make it honest. And that's why that album was long. And that's where that process came from. Mm-hmm. The singles, on the other hand, the process for them has been very organic and conversational. Like, uh, there's a song that's coming out with uh, Esther Hermes from Columbus, who now lives in Philly. She and I had been meeting um, in, like, a hospital. I'm not going to say the school because I don't want to, uh, you know, risk her education. She's in the grad school right now. And we were meeting in a hospital, and she just was telling me who she was. And, and we were getting to know each other. Like, we met at a show, and... You know, we're really tight friends now, and we wrote a song based on trying to eliminate toxic relationships. And, you know, she showed me the tuning of guitar that she uses for her songs, and then I started writing some lyrics, and the next thing you know, we were writing back and forth. So each song had a different story, like, uh, in terms of the singles, like, some of them, I just wrote all the lyrics, I just needed a harmony other songs um it was like a work in process so it it all varies but a lot of it was very organic and we met in person for the most part that's rad (laughs) i guess i'd I'd like to hit on the podcast um since we already brought it up a little bit just kind of like i feel like it's um it reminds me somewhat of like uh shane told's lead singer syndrome podcast and that it's like two musicians talking to each other for the most part um but it feels kind of even more intimate than that. Um, and it kind of more like matter of fact in a way. Um, so could you talk a little about just kind of like how you approach that and how you came, come up with the, came up with the idea and stuff? Okay. So <laughs> the concept, I, I'll, I'll answer in reverse. The concept of dreams, not memes. Um, Marshlin, don't hate me if you're listening to this, but you're a busy student. So who knows? Um, came from my friend Marcelin. Marcelin's a musician that I collaborated with, went on tour with for like almost two weeks. And I was in her car and I went on this like random rant and I just was all like, you know, what's wrong with society is these fucking kids are all about memes. It's always memes, 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 memes. You know, if we want to get anything done in society, we got to focus on vision and dreams. So I was like, I believe in dreams, not me. And then she was just like, you're such a dad, Brian. Like, you know, like she just laughed at me, right? <laughs> and on my 30th birthday, which was last year, I'm 31 now, I get this hat. Uh, and it's like literally the caption of the podcast. And it's me with that hat that says dream. And like, I just was like, really? I had that hat in October. And I literally was just reading um, Spotify articles on just, like, making yourself better, uh, things like that, because, you know, I'm definitely, like, not a perfectionist, but I'm always striving to, like, improve myself. And I went on this podcast earlier this year called Show Me Your Playlist, and I was introduced to Anchor. And Anchor is, like, you know, a streaming platform that, as of today, officially is acquired by Spotify. 
mm-hmm. and they, you know, let you do podcasts via your phone, and that's what Katie of Show Me Your Playlist uses. So I thought her DIY approach to podcasting was really cool. Then I noticed another friend of mine, um, like, talk to me until I have a girlfriend. Alex, if I fuck that up, I'm sorry. His title's really long. Um, <laughs> he used it too, so I was like, you know what? Why not I do it? But I want to do it the way I want to do podcasts. Because sometimes, like, admittedly, I don't listen to podcasts because the people talk so inauthentically. So it's like, how can I be authentic and just, like, get to the whole point of, like, just the realness of music? Because what I, the real thing that I think is missing and rock music and DIY is authenticity. Like there are too many mystery men, uh, masks and rock music. And we find out the truth behind things in the worst ways possible. But like hip hop, which is something I also like, you know, we have the breakfast club, we have Ebro in the morning. We have so many shows where like the journalists are hitting the real questions, which by the way, I love that you're doing this, um, Scott, and I hope you don't give up because like <laughs> you. you're keeping it real. And that's, that's what we need in rock music, you know? So I thought, why don't I take advantage by talking to the people I collaborate with? And I was doing vlogs and like, they were getting some buzz, but not enough that I liked. And not to say that I gave up on vlogs, but I was doing vlogs that address that with people I collaborated with. So I made dreams, not memes to tell the story behind the projects that I have. So, you know, season one was just people that I've collaborated with, like trumpet players that played trumpet on songs I haven't released with. Uh, shout out Taylor Kelly, you know, guitarists that played guitar with me. Shout out, you know, Brandon Bauer of Past Life, like all, all sorts of people. And then I want to basically take it further to just like, still it's about the relationships I have with people, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not, just interviewing any old band or any old musician or artist. But the Dreams Not Memes is just pretty much about the ups and downs and struggles of being who you are. Lunch by myself after work. I mean, during work. And some dude, I mean, I, I knew him, but like I haven't seen him in like five years, came up to me and was like, dude, I really fucking like your podcast. I listen to it every week. It's motivational. And <laughs> that's, that's awesome. kind of like, that, that's kind of like why I do it. Um, because I want people to be comfortable with who they are and, and recognize that like what they're doing is not me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's really cool. Like the fact that you do have that existing relationship with the people that you talk to, I think it kind of, even if the listener doesn't have like a, even like a knowledge of the person necessarily, it kind of gives them a sort of different insight to it. And it's also, it's really cool how you kind of use it as like, a 360 like promotional thing for your own stuff and for like the people that you work with like yeah I think it it really serves like those multiple purposes in a cool way (laughs) and then I also wanted to talk about just I'd like to generally kind of ask like what um go back in the past you know what was it like I mean you're Philly born and raised right and um like what was it like for you like growing up and like how did you kind of first get started in with music so growing up in Philly was a fucking whirlwind to be to say the least. Uh, we we could have another episode for that. <laughs> but uh, in terms of just being exposed to music, for starters, my uncle was a hip hop producer. So like the first half of my life, maybe even more than that, I I knew nothing about playing guitar or like you know 
thinking about being a musician like I've been writing lyrics since I was 11 but like in terms of like playing music I think those are two stories so like I I didn't go to high school going to house shows I went to nightclubs and parties and and ran from the cops from keg parties and stuff like that (laughs) now I wasn't part of like a gang or anything like that I definitely was a good kid like I was I was a junior deacon in church um you know, I, I, you know, I work a job, I taught Taekwondo, um, you know, I was part of an activist organization, I walked a mile in her shoes, I helped kids get literacy that, like, were less privileged, like, things like that, and I met this guy named Nick when I was 16, with Ben, he, like, planted the seed, that's when I got my first drink, my first blunt, and my first introduction to AFI, <laughs> and then from there, it was, like, I saw Hello Goodbye, that was my first concert, then my first, like, heavier concert, not going to say hardcore, because that's a whole other debate. Um, I saw Alisana, Dance Gavin Dance, and A Day to Remember, all in one show. That was in, like, 2005 or six. No, it was definitely in 2006, at an Allentown venue that no longer exists. And then playing in front of people, because I picked up the guitar at 18, and I was just learning, learning, learning. I didn't start playing in front of people until I was 19 or 20. Um, and I was doing that on open mics. I did not call my project Today Without Love. I did write a poem called A Day Without Love. Um, but that's when it became, I know people that play music and I want to know what their communities are like. Because a lot of my ideas around community don't come from DIY ethos. It, it doesn't come from, you know, the older kids taught me this shit. It came from going to church. Um, I know, which might sound crazy in 2019, but it really <laughs> did come from church. Um, you know, accepting people for who they are. They came from my grandma. Um, being a community, that just came from, like, meeting a lot of good people. But that, that's, that's kind of, like, how I walked in at the start of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, how do, how do those, like, kind of – roots that kind of differ so much from a lot of the people in the scene how does that kind of like affect the way you view and like interact with like the DIY rock scene um I think there's definitely people like I've bumped heads with like some people with bigger names I'm not gonna like make this a name names who's who's thing uh, but I think it's been helpful as well as hurtful um I'll start with the negative part first it's been hurtful because like some people definitely think I'm too outspoken or too friendly or too transparent and everything needs to be underground. And I'm just almost like, dude, it's the fucking internet. Like <laughs> nothing's underground anymore unless you're writing letters. And, you know, last time I checked the Scarlet letter, like was, <laughs> that was many hundred years ago. <laughs> um, so that there's that there's like those philosophies. And I, I always like look at the microaggressions that are occurred between different communities and and that definitely irks me sometimes. Um, and I, I like I don't have trouble holding back my tongue uh, musically or like in person. If if this was a pie chart, that's like ten percent of my experience. I mean, at a time it was more like sixty percent of my experience, and that was like, you know, when people were throwing guns in my face to play guitar, like that. That's actually happened. Um, but now I think I hear a lot of people. And I mean this on the road, not so much Philly, sometimes Philly. There are definitely some spaces in Philly where I feel really safe and comfortable. Um, and I don't mean that from like a safe space perspective, but more of like an anxiety perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where I think what I have to say is not just validated, it's more like understood. And I think other people kind of relate because they've experienced similar things. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I'm really addressing is gatekeeping and exclusivity and and DIY cultures. I, I don't think it's rational because let's be real here, a lot of us would like to be rock stars or have a platform a lot of us don't have a platform so why will we separate each other um and i think a lot of times when i say that it makes people feel uncomfortable because they're self-conscious that they're separating people but then i would add if you think you're separating people you probably are separating people and i mean that sounds like it kind of ties pretty well into um your experience like recording the documentary um so could you tell me a little bit more about like that the like I coming up with that idea and the process of filming it and stuff? Certainly. So um, I teamed up with a local videographer, Brianna Spouse, Spaws. Brianna, if you hear this, you can smack me next time you see me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Brianna is like my go-to photographer. Um, I can't say enough how much I think she's just a fucking awesome photographer. Um, but she's more than a photographer, she's a videographer, and because she wanted to make a documentary about a band, I told her what I was thinking, and and I said, you know, A Day Without Love is about my story with rising above adversity through my own lenses, but it's also about connecting and being harmonious with the world, and I have a number of documentaries that I want to do um, before, like, I, I can officially say I'm content and done with this project, and one of them is about understanding cultural differences in america because uh philly is definitely known for being radical but you know it's philly like what you know about your local scene does not always translate to every music scene like there there's ups and downs to every music scene so i said how about we do like a, a cross regional um tour and talk to people about their music communities so she was like i'm, I'm game so our first interview kind of set the tone for everything. Um, we talked to Sonic Sam from Lancaster, and they talked about why an all-femme um, booking organization is important in Lancaster. They talked about their microaggressions that they had to face coming up in the, in the music scene and how they wanted to give a voice to the voiceless as a result of their organization. And that's when the tone of the interview you know 17 interviews later because it was an 18-day tour and we did about 17 18 16 something like that we got like 18 hours of material um and we wanted to talk to people about you know how do they deal with inclusion uh safe space culture um consent culture and how it relates to the me too movement um with music and and things of that nature so the documentary is called safe and sounds film and in like one or two sentences, like the documentary is about um, how America in all different places, bars, art spaces, colleges, you know, coffee shops, they're all doing their part to make America feel a little bit more comfortable, especially during a time where we live in a society where it's no longer microaggressions, it's very much macroaggressions. Um, and what I mean by it, I'm talking about the way people feel and experience life. Like, for example, I'm talking to you via Bluetooth in my car and a cop just rolled 
next to me very aggressively. And the first thing that came to my mind is I might get shot, but it doesn't look like it. But case in point, the reason why I'm thinking that is just the biases of what's been happening in current events, not just lately, but my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I think he really wants a donut. I'm in a Wawa park. <laughs> Uh, and he's walking really fast, and he forgot to turn off his lights. So, um, <laughs> but that—that's—that's that's how that documentary has come about. We're really about showing that inclusion is not just a regional thing. Um, safety is not just a regional thing. Consent is not just a regional thing. Diversity, which ties in with inclusion, is not just a regional thing. It's an American thing, and it's important that music cultures have a voice and speak for progressive thought, because historically, uh, music has always been a progressive thing, and it's been radical, whether it be to the right, left, or diagonal. Um, And through that, it's a transformation that helps other people think for themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, was there anything that kind of like surprised you or kind of like went against your expectations when that came out in the documentary and the interviews? So to be 100% honest, and this is generalized, but what surprised me, because I don't want to spoil too much, Mm. um, and thanks for talking about this, because like we definitely have like the dude data's TBD, but I want to talk about this as much as I possibly can, um, is that I experienced some pretty messed up things in Baltimore. Um, One of those things is a man tried to shoot me while I was taking pictures. I used to take pictures with a DSLR as a hobby photographer. And I walked back and he shot the shotgun while I was walking away. So that was the first thing that like happened. Another thing that happened to me is uh, I got robbed while going on tour with Kate dressed up. And I don't mean directly like assaulted. I mean like her car got broken into and I lost my book bag that had my camera in it and a bunch of my belongings. So I anticipated getting robbed, especially since I was with a camera person. Um, I anticipated maybe even like going to jail just for being driving while black. Uh, that almost happened, sort of. I drove in Greenville, South Carolina with Brianna. And just for reference, Brianna's white. I can definitely say without shame, it's definitely possible that if I was alone, I could have went to jail. And they claim that I made an illegal right turn, which is not a thing. And um, I really think I was driving while black and the cop talked to me, not going to the story too much. They basically gave me a fake warning. The cop said that they were a musician too. And I was like, I, no, you're not a musician too, you're a cop. And they also said they did video. I was like, no, you don't do video, you're a cop. And um, they put my music on Spotify. So that that makes me feel weird because I have like anti-cop songs. <laughs> so that <laughs> happened. And that was one of the things I was anticipating. And the other thing that really surprised me is seeing progressive uh, as well as liberal communities in the South. Like at Mississippi, when I played at Ole Miss, I literally was like expecting to hear some N-bombs, but I didn't, you know, a lot of people welcomed me with open arms and were very kind to me. Um, so a lot of, a lot of what I thought, like in terms of experiencing adversity, I thought was going to happen, but, but it didn't, which I'm glad because um, I don't, I don't say this with pride, but like, you know, I've ran away from the KKK when I was a child. Um, that's a whole nother story. 
but I, I've I've seen some shit that most like modern black people don't see, mm-hmm. um, such as like you know seeing a black guy get beat up by by the uh, police and things like that. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, and um, you've mentioned kind of like how you did the tour with Brianna um, and you're kind of used to touring solo. So, I mean, could you talk a little bit about kind of both of those things and especially your experiences with touring solo? Certainly. Um, touring solo as an extrovert is fucking mind wrecking. <laughs> I mean, I know I definitely kind of put up a front um, that I'm having the time of my life and part of me is having the time of my life. But I, I mean, I say this not with pity. I say this not with self-loathing. But I simply don't have friends that are committed enough to me to play with me 90 times out of the year or 70 or 80 or 60 times out of the year. And it sucks. Um, so traveling alone sucks a lot. But it's also amazing because you get to connect with people in the most unbiased ways possible. Um, and you get that experience for a short time and then you move on. And I don't mean move on like you forget the person because the connection's still there because you're leaving a part of yourself there. So it's both great and, and bad. Wow. Even though I'm not into astrology, I just sounded like a Gemini there. <laughs> I am a Gemini rising. Um, but like, it, it's both good and bad. And also a lot of times I thought about giving up because, you know, I'm on that mega bus. I'm sleeping on a pillow or my own hoodie against potentially dirty glass. And, like, I don't know if anyone's really listening to me except for, like, this stranger from the internet or whatever, just to, like, hear my music. So, like, it's cool, but it, it's, it's a struggle, you know. And, and at the same time, it's not even just about, um, you know, do I have people that are willing to tour with me? It's, like, I, I do have, in my opinion, realistic expectations, and that's, like, I want to practice with someone one to maybe three times a week and have a practice room and, and like make a day without love about a day without love not like ulterior motives and a lot of times people join bands for other reasons like because they want friends because they want free weed um <laughs> because like you know they just like house shows they want to do as many house shows as possible band of people who are about music and a message and want to and then collect and create on on that basis and uh i just haven't found that and if, if, if having standards selling out, then again, I guess I have a sellout. So touring with Brianna, you know, I've uh, been on the road with like Izzy Heltai, who's a songwriter, and they are doing a Kickstarter. I don't know when this is coming out, but Izzy, I really hope you uh, win that Kickstarter because they are a very like amazing songwriter. And um, I'm also, I've also gone on tour with Marceline. I've gone on tour with bands, like things like that. So it hasn't always been alone. But I can definitely say the contrast of being on tour with Brianna has been like, it's been like having a little sister and a mom at the same time. Um, I still owe you a design for tour mom t-shirt, by the way, Brianna, uh, because like I never went on tour and someone told me like straight up, like, yo, the relationships and friendships you have, they're crossing your boundaries and I could see it in your face. You know, like I've never had, someone care about me like that um i never had someone go like yeah you gotta take your vitamin c and b12 on the road or, <laughs> or brian stop talking go to bed like that's what it was like and like at times it was petty but like real talk with someone like Brianna made me realize like i mean this personally and musically i just need people that care about me and mm-hmm. um 
And I mean that not so much on a like, oh, you like my stuff on the internet. I mean, like, you call me, like, you want to practice with me. You want to work with me. You want to help me draft my press release. Like, you actually want to work with me. And um, that's what kind of touring this year and previous years has been, like, helped me learn. Like, it's helped me allocate my my energy and understand where good people exist right yeah i mean that definitely sounds like those are very wholesome answers you've been giving and like i I love the just kind of the overall kind of like communal feel that you have about you and stuff so (laughs) that's really rad it's time again for the mid-show shout out today i want to highlight endless scroll each week eli ennis and eric bennett are joined by a guest Together, they review some of the buzzworthy new music releases, and then interview the guests to learn more about who they are and why they love music. Eric and Eli both have amazing music taste, and I found plenty of stuff I might have missed otherwise. So even without taking into account their intriguing discussions, Endless Scroll is a great music discovery tool. So check it out! And then, I guess to kind of head towards wrapping things up a bit, um, I like to ask what was like a recent challenge and a recent success that you've had? I was in Kent, Ohio and had a radio interview in Bloomington, Indiana with Rylan of the Riot Room. And I only got an hour or two hours of sleep. And I had to drive five hours to get there. And it ended up taking me seven because I was just so sleepy. And I drank all the sugar-free Red Bull and other energy drinks, Bang, Yerba Mate, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I almost crashed. So that's what I mean by the learning uh, about yourself and about things on the road. So that was like a definitely a big struggle for me. <laughs> um, a recent success, not so much musical-related. No, I'll keep it the music, um, is... Uh, today, and I know this is not going to come out today, I'm finishing um, a story. See, and I created this model. I'm not going to say I'm the first to ever do this, but I wanted to do shows where songwriters and bands did stripped down versions of their songs that they put out or are about to put out, and they told the stories behind the songs, and like people would listen to those experiences so that people get more personal feelings behind songs that they dig. And uh, today, Pocket Vinyl is playing, and Pocket Vinyl is uh, an independent band that's a duo, and um, they hold the world record for doing all 50 states in the shortest amount of time. They uh-huh. did 50 states in like 47 days or 48 days. Damn. And Damn. on top of that, uh, they're not signed any label. Um, Eric plays the piano and book ballads, and his wife Liz... <laughs> does paintings and they're like live paintings like she just makes up stuff on the spot and then at the end of their set they auction it and it's, it's a really cool engaging experience so i think that's a success because uh i've been doing it for the month i don't think i'll do it again because grant it was really fun um it wasn't as well as attended as i liked it to be but uh it was still a success just because i was able to do it and shout out to the great room shout out to kevin mccall for letting me do it so it's been a, it's been a vibe yeah, and I'm sure for, like, the people who've attended, it's, like, I- I'll always love th- seeing things like that where bands kind of, like, dissect themselves and stuff, which, I mean, that's obviously part of the reason I'm doing this podcast, so I'm sure it's, like, a special thing for the people who are there. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then I always like to ask at the end um, for either just a piece of advice or something that you've been thinking about in general lately, um, either about music or life um, that you would just like to share. Real talk. I, I hope one that I don't have to do this alone for so long. Cause Grant, this is a solo project. I would like people that are in it to win it, not for my money and my wallet. That's why I don't really like push myself to labels or PR too much. Um, so I hope I, I get a team and not to say that I don't have support, but like the type of direct support that a musician really needs. Was there anything that like I haven't hit on that you've been like dying to talk about or anything? Um, right now, you, you, I mean, I just want people to listen to Good Friends Are Hard to Find. That's uh, the single to this documentary. And um, just just follow me and, and keep in touch with me. Like, uh, I got a couple things coming out in November. Um, I'm going to be exploring the U.S. a little bit more. And then I'm just going to still post stuff, but keep it pretty chill so I can write and sit down and write and hit the gym and, and focus on my personal goals. And with that, dear friends, it's time to say goodbye once again. Thanks so much to Brian for being a pleasure to talk to. Please do check out A Day Without Love. With the sheer scope of recent collaborations, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Subscribe to Dreams Not Memes, give good friends a hard to find a stream, and keep your eye out for the documentary coming next year. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at flyonthecallpod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Until next time, keep on keeping on. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The The Corner Corner of Gray Street. Street.